Hey y'all! Welcome to the third episode of Hardy Wrestling with me, your girl, Stephanie Hardy. For those who are listening to this third episode and have listened to the other two, thank you for listening and for being supportive of this podcast. Whether you watch wrestling on the regular or even if you don't watch wrestling on the regular or if you're just starting, thank you for listening to me and um and for supporting me thank you guys so much so today i'm going to be talking about of course news and gossip you're going to have your wrestling fan story time which is very special considering it's involving um something that's near and dear to my heart which is um, black history month and dealing in how a wrestler this week sort of helped me to tap into some feelings in wrestling that I do have, but basically just brought them to the forefront a little bit more. And then we're going to talk about what happened on all of these shows. This might be a little bit longer. This episode might be a little bit longer simply because of the fact that um, along with the three regular shows with Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, NXT had a pay-per-view this past Sunday called NXT TakeOver Portland. And I'm going to be going through that along with the NXT episode that happened this Wednesday after that event, along with Raw and SmackDown. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so now it's time for news and gossip-ish. We're going to kick things off with the news of the WWE Performance Center opening in Japan. According to Dave Meltzer, who's like the gossip guru of wrestling somehow, he works um, he works for the Wrestling Observer, which is this um, wrestling newspaper. Um, the WWE is planning to announce the opening of a WWE Performance Center in Japan. Now, if for those who don't know what the WWE Performance Center is, it's this sort of wrestling school slash gym um, slash promo place. I may have talked about it in one episode before, um, where aspiring wrestlers and different athletes from all walks of life go to start training to become a WWE superstar. There is a whole process behind it in terms of applying for a job there and everything and sending in tape and everything of anything that you've done. Um, in terms of performance and once they send it to you they'll call you and ask you to come to the performance center and move you and go through like a certain process that'll take like a couple of rounds before they initially accept you and once you're accepted you become um, a part of the class of the wrestlers that are there and some of them stay some of them don't you know once they realize the system really isn't for them but basically they give you all kinds of training in terms of ring action you know how to wrestle in a ring um how to keep your partner safe how to perform um promos along with how to get a character across because the first character that you think of might not be the best one and then there of course there are all kinds of wrestling ogs who are um teachers there and everything to help you iron out all the kinks and everything and then of course you know if you do go on television to wrestle with this one character it can work and sometimes it won't work and you can go back to the drawing board and then they'll help you you know iron some stuff out and get better in terms of your athleticism and you can indeed become a star so 
there are already um, two of them. There's one in Orlando, Florida, which is the very first one. And there's and it's on the campus of Full Sail University where they have their NXT shows every Wednesday. Then there's one in London as well because they do have their NXT UK um, division. And the one there and there's supposed to be a third one opening in Japan. Now, Japan would definitely be a great place to open one up, considering there are so many fighters over there in Japan who have found you know mainstream success over there in japan with all japan pro wrestling or new japan pro wrestling who might want to transition and go to that nxt go through that nxt performance center um process and become a wwe superstar if that's what they want then of course i'm pretty sure there's all kinds of new talent that's there too that would love to break through um in that manner so there's no word yet on when they'll be making that announcement but i'm pretty sure it'll probably be like maybe earlier um like like still probably in this part of this year or maybe in the summer so be on the lookout for that and another piece of news and gossip ish that we have is involving aj styles he's rumored to be fighting the undertaker at this year's wrestlemania now it's rumored that the undertaker wanted to fight aj styles because he was basically the modern day version of Shawn michaels as you know or may not know Shawn michaels is another og who's also a teacher at the performance center who was deemed mr wrestlemania by a lot of um older wrestling fans and of course current wrestling fans he's one of the greatest of all time he's definitely uh, on goat status and he retired out of WrestleMania as well, fighting against The Undertaker. They fought two times. And one of those matches, which was his last match, was the career versus um, streak match. And Shawn Michaels subsequently lost that match, so he had to retire. But, you know, he's definitely respected. He's a Hall of Famer. He's, like, one of the greatest to ever do it. You know, he's one of my favorites. So um, it's pretty huge when The Undertaker tells you, you know, that you're, like, the modern day Shawn Michaels which is true because AJ Styles like his credibility as a wrestler has only gone up and gotten better with time like his story in terms of wanting to be in the WWE is really amazing because at first when he had tried to go into WWE after he left WCW they told him he was too little so he basically worked really hard you know through different promotions you know Ring of Honor and um New Japan Pro Wrestling for years and then he came to the to the WWE and decided to and basically made a huge name for himself and he has done wonders since then and for someone to be um, I'm not exactly sure what his age is, but for someone to be as old as he is and for him to be in t the, the type of shape that he's in and having the matches that he's having, it's like amazing. And at WrestleMania, he has already fought people like Shane McMahon, even though he's not technically a wrestler, but you know, Shane McMahon, he's one of them at McMahon. So they love to get in the ring and scrap. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura, who was one of his older rivals in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Randy Orton. So... I'm pretty sure that if he were to fight The Undertaker, um, that would be one of the best, probably one of the best matches that, that might happen on the card, but we'll see. But I do feel some type of way about The Undertaker still trying to fight at WrestleMania, not because I don't have a huge amount of respect for him, but just because of the fact that he's getting older and he doesn't move as quickly as he used to. And sometimes I feel like, you know, when they bring wrestlers back like that, who aren't necessarily in their prime anymore for the sake of nostalgia I feel like it almost it's almost painful to watch but you know we'll see what'll happen from that because 
Also, AJ Styles did name drop The Undertaker in a series of legends that he mentioned on Monday Night Raw. Um, so, hey, who knows what'll happen? Also in news and gossipish, we have the Bella Twins and how they've been announced as the new Hall of Famers for the class of 2020, along with Batista and the NWO. Now, it was a lot of controversy early this week where a lot of people on Twitter, you know, have broke the news, I guess you could say, even though it wasn't really confirmed just yet, that the Bella Twins had been rumored to be um, in the Hall of Fame this year. And a lot of people had a lot of stuff to say. It was almost split down the middle. It's like you had a bunch of fans saying that they felt like the Bella Twins didn't deserve it based off of so many things because they felt like there were other women like um, Victoria or, you know, anyone else who or Mickey James or anyone else who could have gotten in there first before them. And really, they've only been retired for almost a year or maybe two, depending on which twin you're talking about. I think Bree's been retired for two years, and I think Nikki has only hasn't even been retired for a full year just yet. And a lot of people just took offense to it, and it was just kind of sad because they also feel like, oh, well, they're part of the Divas era. They don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, there are a lot of people who feel very strongly about them you know, being in the Hall of Fame and saying that they do deserve to be in the Hall of Fame simply because of the fact that these women have worked incredibly hard to get to where, you know, to get to where they are now. You can't really say that the Bella Twins are not a brand and have not grown, you know, and have not brought different eyes to the wrestling business, you know, because of their branding due to their reality shows and due to any other deals that they might have or movies or whatever. You can't really say that they don't deserve it but there are some people like me who are in the middle I feel like it's too soon for them to be inducted into the hall of fame but I'm not going to sit here and disparage them either because that's one thing I'm never going to do I'm never going to disparage these women um and their success because that's just not a thing that I that, that I subscribe to at all so congratulations to them and I'm happy that they you know, have gotten to this point in their careers where they can relax, you know, have their babies, get married and all of that stuff and go into the Hall of Fame and, you know, be legendary. So that would be cool. I can't wait to hear their speeches. Um, And then also in news and gossipish, we have The Rock going to the Performance Center to coach the different students. On the WWE Performance Center YouTube page, they shared a video of him about a two minute video of him talking about what it felt like to go to the performance center and have like a little bit of a coaching session because you know he is a busy man so he took some time out to go to Florida and coach some of the um, NXT superstars that you see on television and also his daughter Simone Johnson who is now signed with WWE and he talked about seeing the hunger in their eyes and seeing how they you know, have a thirst for knowledge and only want to gain more and more knowledge for the wrestling business. And he said that it seemed very familiar considering he had it when he was first starting out. And he said it just, he considered it an honor to actually be there to actually teach them. So that was really heartwarming to see. It was almost like, and then when he was, and then to see him coaching Simone, it almost felt like, almost like looking at footage of, Kobe coaching Gigi and I know it's still kind of hard to talk about but kind of looking at those old videos of Kobe coaching Gigi 
and it was just like man like that's so sweet so that was really cool and also in news we have um the women's the smackdown women's championship match in saudi arabia that's going to be happening at wwe super showdown this coming thursday um between naomi and bailey now this match will be the first women's championship match to ever take place in saudi arabia um and it's a huge deal considering only last year near the end of last year the women were able to participate in the first match it was natalia versus lacey evans they were able to wrestle in the first wrestling match ever held in saudi arabia and it was a huge deal for you know equality in that country and it was a huge deal for the WWE to be able to hold that. So now this time, since, you know, on SmackDown Live this past, well, yesterday, um, Naomi fought Carmella for the number one contendership for the SmackDown Women's title, and Naomi came out victorious, and I'm going to talk more about that. And so now she's going to be facing Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship in Saudi Arabia as Super Showdown. Now, you can watch it on the WWE Network if you want, but you can also look at, you know, I'm pretty sure after the event is over, they're going to have clips on YouTube that you can watch for free unless, you know, if you don't want to go through the whole subscription process, you know, even though you do get the first month free or whatever. But, you know, if you don't want to go through that, then just, you know, wait to watch it on YouTube or something. So that historic event is coming up. And that's pretty much it for news and gossip. So now we're going to move forward into my special story time. Okay, so for wrestling fan story time, I'm going to talk about something that really touched my soul this week. And it started at NXT TakeOver Portland where there was this match between Rhea Ripley, the NXT Women's Champion, and Bianca Belair. And this match was very highly anticipated, you know, for several reasons, because these women are very powerful and, you know, it was just set to be a really good match. So everybody was really excited about it and the hype surrounding it. But... I'm going to talk about the part that really resonated with me the deepest. And Bianca Belair is one of my favorite wrestlers of right now because not only is she powerful, not only is she incredibly strong and demands the best from herself, um, hence her name, the EST of NXT, but she is unapologetic in her blackness and at NXT TakeOver Portland this past Sunday she came out in one of her own um outfits and she came out in this with her of course beautiful long braid with golden makeup under her eyes and on her face and on her arms and she had on this giant necklace that looked kind of Egyptian but she was also wearing this Macho Man-esque um, cape. And when she came out in the front, you know, you saw the front of her outfit and everything. And she, you know, does a little hop in her dance and everything. She turned around. And on the back of that cape, she had black history in the making. When I saw that, 
I lost my entire mind. I was like, girl, for real? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I was so happy because this and because honestly, this isn't even the first black history outfit that she's ever done like she has created she creates a lot of her ring gear herself which is something that i appreciate because i've never been able to make my own clothes but this girl makes her own ring gear and i remember i think it was either last year or two years ago she made her own black history month wrestling gear and it had so many um black icons and black legends on it from Martin Luther King to Prince to Maya Angelou and everybody all over it with pictures and this year she just went all out and created this purple and gold outfit that had letters that said black history in the making all over it when she took the cape off and I was like man this is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like, I love whenever any wrestler really makes any type of, you know, special fashion for their ring gear. You know, they can make reference to comic books that they may have liked growing up or, you know, make their outfits, you know, a different color to represent a certain event in their lives or a certain wrestling event in their lives or whatever. But Bianca really set the bar so high for costumes that I was just floored like if you search Bianca Belair on Google search for that NXT takeover Portland outfit and you will be like floored it was so beautiful but that's not even the beauty of it really isn't even the point um it's just the fact that she is so unapologetic about the fact that she has pride in her African-American heritage that it makes me feel seen because I have pride in my African-American heritage as well. And um, in this world, in the United States as a whole, sometimes as beautiful and as joyful and as triumphant as being black is, they try to make it seem like it is the worst thing in the world like it's something to be villainized or it's something to be taken away from or you know put on as a style but not really you know invested into because the people are just seen as or we are just seen as marketable but not really you know humanized at all and they consider it it's almost like in the united states it's almost like if you're if you're black it's like oh you're cool you know but you're only cool when we say you're cool and then once we get through you know we'll just throw you away and pretend like you're nothing and during this month which is black history month it's like we take this time out to really go to really, I mean, we do it all year long, honestly, but this month is specifically created for us to, you know, take some time to celebrate our culture and celebrate the contributions that we have made in spite of everything that we have been through, you know, to celebrate the fact that we still love and we still, you know, worship, we still um, create and we still make 
good in the world regardless of all the crap that's going on and it's just during this month it was absolutely beautiful to see that representation come forth in wrestling um on that day and that's not even to say that there aren't any black wrestlers in the wwe because there have been plenty over the years um from rocky johnson who is the rock's father and tony atlas who were the first african-american um tag team champions to jacqueline who was you know a multiple time women's champion during the 90s and jazz who was like a black female women's champion during the um the 2000s and alicia fox who was the first um black divas champion and of course you know you have kofi kingston last year and how he became the first african-born wwe champion and of course you have the rock who has done everything that he has done you know with his um black and samoan heritage and you have naomi who was the first black woman to win a championship at wrestlemania in florida a couple years ago it's just so much black history within um the wrestling business that a lot of people just don't know about and then of course you have the new day who have been who as a group with kofi kingston big e and xavier woods they have set the bar so high for tag team wrestling and also for character work as a whole because they're the way that they portray blackness is not a monolith because i have to be truthful even in wwe sometimes some of the characters that they have given to african-american wrestlers have been stereotypical and have been kind of gross but when you have people like bianca Belair, and naomi and the new day who are showing that blackness is not a monolith it makes you walk with a little bit of pride in knowing that this um that that this company is evolving in such a way that they're allowing for these wrestlers to show that these that black people are not just you know characterized or shouldn't just be characterized on television as thugs and criminals or you know just happy dancing clapping you know preachers or all that or whatever like we can like video games we can like all kinds of nerdy things like the golden girls and stuff like that and still be just as black like we can like stevie wonder and like all kinds of rock music and still be just as black you can be like bianca belair and swing your hair everywhere and be and wear giant hoop earrings and still be just as black you know you can dance around like naomi and still be just as black you know as anything else and it is just the most amazing thing to watch bianca belair and her rise because she started she didn't necessarily want to be a wrestler at first she would watch it with her brother and she had all kinds of she was just always athletically gifted her background Bianca Belair's background is amazing she played volleyball she ran track like in high school like she transferred to the University of Tennessee to run track and you know under a scholarship and then she participated in CrossFit for a long time before she was um discovered by Mark Henry another African-American legend in the WWE who saw her and discovered her and um got her hooked up to the WWE Performance Center. Like, even in the Performance Center, they have 
combine they have like the performance center combine competition where they have these where they have all the wrestlers in the performance center like do all kinds of fitness contests and she has won the con the contest for at least three years in a row because she can lift at least over 400 pounds this is how strong this woman is she's amazing and then along with that she has also she also exudes black excellence in her love um life with Montez Ford who is a former NXT tag team champion in the tag team the Street Profits with Angelo Dawkins and they're on Monday Night Raw and they do all kinds of hilarious things they are so funny and they're going to be stars you know it, when given that opportunity, they will be huge stars. And they were also former Progress Tag Team champions. And they exude probably one of the best one of the best examples of black love I have ever seen. Um, they're married to each other and they're just beautiful to watch, you know, in their ascension, how they support each other in this business and how they lift each other up. And honestly I can't wait to see what's next for her um in her journey because there's a lot going on with her that I'm going to talk about in the main event segment where I'm going to talk about what's going on in NXT Raw and Smackdown but the sky is the limit for her and the sky is also the limit for every other black wrestler in the WWE black wrestlers who are in the indie scene black wrestlers who are in other promotions who are on television like TNA and you know wow superhero wrestling all of that and for people of color as a whole you know we are here and I am so proud of each and every one of them but since this is Black History Month I will end this segment by saying by quoting my favorite rapper Wale sue me I'm rooting for everybody black Alright, so we've reached the main event where I talk about everything that happened this week in wrestling on the shows. So we're going to start with NXT TakeOver Portland, held in Portland, Oregon. Our commentators were Mara Ranallo, who is like the GOAT right now, Hall of Famer Beth Phoenix, and Nigel McGuinness. So we're going to start with the women, because a lot happened. (laughs) So we had the very first women's street fight in NXT between Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, who were once best friends, but now they're not. They're fighting each other, and it was a doozy. Tegan Knox came out, you know, and did her entrance. And while she was doing her entrance, Dakota Kai attacked her from behind. And the rules of this match is basically the fight can take place in any part of the arena, but they may, but they seriously have to be pinned one, two, three in the ring. So it's like you can beat somebody up like near the announcer's table or whatever, but you have to put them back in the ring in order to get that one, two, three count. So objects can also be used and tools can also be used like a chain, a chair, a table, you know, all that crazy stuff. <laughs> so as you can imagine, probably a lot happened in this scenario. Former best friends killing each other. 
So one of the things that caught a few of the things that caught my eye was the fact that Dakota Kai had on a T-shirt um, that was spray painted with her attacking her best friend in the back. And of course, she bashed Tegan Knox in the head with a trash can. And um, she also smacked her. She Dakota Kai also smacked Tegan Knox with a trash can top. And there were suplexes on the trash cans as well. So it was a lot of trash can action action going on. And they were also being very spiteful to each other. There were points where they were using chains and chairs to hit, and knee braces to hit each other in their injured knees, which is something that they both kind of talked about before the match, how they both, you know, had to rehab their knees together. And, but they were being absolutely spiteful in this match, hitting each other where it hurt and just murdering one another. And Tegan Knox was also um, paying tribute to her two favorite wrestlers, Molly Holly and Kane, by hitting Dakota Guy with um, choke slams and the Molly go round, which is a move where you go from the top rope and you flip flip the opponent onto the mat. And the match was about to come to a head. When Tegan Knox did give um, Dakota Kai the shiniest wizard, which is like you're running your knee into the person's face, and she could have got her for the one, two, three right there, but she wanted to punish her some more, so she pulled out the table and set the table up and put Dakota Kai on the table, but then when she was about to crash Dakota Kai through the table, this new girl named Reina Gonzalez. Last time we saw her was at the Mae Young Classic last year. She interfered in the match and pushed Tegan Knox through the table. And Dakota Kai basically like took advantage of it and covered her for the one, two, three. Now, now um, Dakota Kai has a partner in Reina Gonzalez. And they were totally giving me AJ Lee and um, Tamina Snooker vibes. If you really, if you do know what that is and you know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, I would suggest you look that up. Like during like the 2012-2013 era, you had this wrestler named AJ Lee who had this, um, she didn't have Tamina all the time, but there was a point where when she was Divas Champion, she had like this bodyguard thing kind of going on with Tamina. Kind of like Kevin Nash and Shawn Michaels back in the day, but basically, you know, with women. So that's what happened in that match. I was a little bummed now because I really wanted to see Tegan Knox just shine and sort of, you know, show a more aggressive side, which she did throughout the entire match. But, you know, ultimately, I wanted her to win. But back on NXT um, this past Wednesday, Dakota Kai and Reina Gonzalez were totally bragging about the idea that they, you know, came out victorious. And Reina Gonzalez was saying that nobody was going to mess with them, you know, now that they're together. And Dakota Kai called Gonzalez a true friend and had her back and that nothing could stop them. In response to that, the general manager, William Regal, who's another OG in wrestling, made a match between Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai in a steel cage in two weeks time on NXT television. So this match, so this rivalry is definitely not over. And then he also said there can be no interference from the outside, but there really isn't that much interference you can have in a steel cage match. But, you know, they'll find some, sometimes they'll find like a way to sneak in there, but maybe not, you know, we'll see. So this rivalry is going to get really hot and I'm so excited to watch a steel cage match on television.
And like I mentioned earlier in the previous section um, during story time, you had the Rhea Ripley-Bianca Belair match for the NXT Women's Championship. This was a really good match considering both of these women have amazing strength on their side. Um, Rhea Ripley from Australia, you know, has been a dominant champion since she won the championship from Shayna Baszler, who was the two-time NXT Women's Champion. And nobody could really get a chance to beat her because she's kind of like this MMA fighter who's like this really rough and tumble girl. But then she finally got beat by Rhea Ripley. So now Rhea Ripley's kind of just, you know, she's been on a tear ever since last year with um, Survivor Series and everything. So now she had to defend her title against Bianca Belair. And this match was really good. Now, Rhea Ripley's strength lies in the fact that she's a great striker in terms of her kicks and her punches. And then, of course, you have Bianca Belair, who's more of a show woman with with flips, hits, and punches. There was a point where Bianca flipped Rhea um, out of the ring and then jumped and flipped over the top rope onto Rhea on the outside. And there were just all kinds of different different things that happened in the match. But of course, Rhea Ripley retained the title only to be attacked by Charlotte Flair, who accepted Rhea Ripley's challenge for the title match at WrestleMania. So Charlotte attacked her from behind and said, you know, I have an answer to your question and I'll see you at WrestleMania. And I talked about earlier, you know, in well, on another episode of the show, how Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte would be way more exciting considering she won the Royal Rumble and she had the pick of the litter of who she could face. So there's that. But another thing, another intriguing thing that Charlotte Flair did while she was on her way out was attack Bianca Belair. And basically, like, she kind of, like, does did the thing with her foot where you're kind of scraping dirt back on the other person after she attacked her. And that made me kind of think, well, maybe there's going to be a rivalry between those two. And maybe they'll add Bianca Belair to said WrestleMania match. But breaking news happened today. And Charlotte Flair is actually going to NXT for the first time in years to fight Bianca Belair. Since Bianca Belair Wednesday got in, challenged Charlotte Flair during the match between Chelsea Green and um, Caden Carter basically interrupted the match like Kanye West style and was all like yo I'm gonna let y'all finish but Charlotte Flair attacked me and that's not cool that's not what she said but (laughs) she said Charlotte since you want to attack me I don't care what show I have to go on but I want to fight you and she was just saying and I'm going to whoop that a word so she basically interrupted a whole match just to say that and it was really funny so that's what's gonna happen with that And also on the women's side with the Caden Carter, Chelsea Green match, Chelsea Green was, I guess, re-debuting with her Robert Stone, with Robert Stone and the Robert Stone brand or whatever, with her representation with this dude with a suit. And um, it was a rematch from their match from like two weeks ago and Caden Carter beat her. And then Chelsea was like, no, like it was a, it was a fluke and all of that because Caden won by roll up. And this match was pretty good for the most part. So Chelsea won. So I don't know if that rivalry is going to continue to go on or if she's going to fight someone else or what. But I'm pretty glad that Chelsea Green is finding her her way in NXT because she had been in the wrestling business for years. She had been in TNA. She had, she was in WWE kind of before, but that was before they were really taking the women incredibly seriously. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm happy for her. And I'm ready to see more of what Caden Carter has to offer. So, there's that part. And now, we're going to get to the NXT men in Portland. The first men's match that happened on the card was Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic for the NXT North American Championship. Now, of course, you know, since I love fashion, um, Keith Lee kind of came out in his regular gear, but then there was some special gear that Dominic Dijakovic came out with, and he had posted on Instagram before, but he came out wearing this sweatshirt with um, two half pictures of Kobe Bryant and Gigi Bryant on the front of it, and he was wearing it because one of the things, because he stated, you know, during this whole um, Kobe Bryant tragedy thing was the fact that since he has a 13 year old daughter one of the things that stood out to him was the bond that kobe and Gigi had so he wore that sweatshirt in honor of them which i felt like was a nice touch um and again all prayers and thoughts go out to the to the bryant family and every other family that was um that has to deal with that tragedy firsthand so one of the greatest parts about watching these two wrestle, even though they've wrestled a lot, <laughs> um, and I'll talk about that later, um, is the agility shown between the both of them, considering the fact that they are both really large men. These men have to be about six foot tall, and you have Keith Lee, who has the build of a lineman, um, and he used to play football, so that makes a lot of sense, and also play basketball, too. Um, and then you have Dominic Dijakovic, who looks like the second coming of Drago from Rocky Four, <laughs> And um, these guys can move with the quickness of a cruiserweight. Like the way that these people can move and jump and, and, <laughs> and flip and everything is just like, whoa. And they know each other so well because you can tell that they were blocking each other's moves and everything because they fought so many times, even outside of NXT from what I heard um, during the pay-per-view. Now, I love watching Keith Lee do her karanas and flips and all of that and jumping. And there was a point where Keith Lee caught Dominic mid-air during a corkscrew um, moonsault out of the ring. And they're both very hard strikers, so they're both very equally matched, which I understand, you know, the reason why they fight all the time. And there was a point where Keith Lee even tackled Dominic. And also, Dominic did a missile flip from the top rope onto Keith Lee in a desk chair. And even in that same desk chair, Keith Lee was, like, smacking Dominic in the chest, and he was telling the, the crowd to shh so they can hear the gravity of the smack <laughs> it was amazing and um it was just there was even a point where dominic did an avalanche spanish fly and if well basically it's an avalanche spanish fly is like when you do it from the top rope and a spanish fly is kind of like when you're like facing forward and the other person's facing the other way and they're facing backwards or facing forward or whatever and you flip and basically like hit them on the mat and it is really incredible but ultimately keith lee retained his championship after hitting him with a spirit bomb about a good three times and now 
I understand why they're always paired together simply because of the fact that their chemistry is so well in the ring. Like they've fought each other so many times. I call I call Dominic Dijakovic Keith Lee's OTP, his one true person. And because I feel like every like every wrestler or every iconic wrestler has that one wrestler that brings out the best in them, like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair, or like Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks, or Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and <laughs> and people like that. So or Hulk Hogan and Goldberg or something like that. So I can see why, you know, they're always paired together because they're so evenly matched that it's hard to I guess sometimes it's hard for I guess management to see them fight anyone else um now I can say that when they did announce that they were gonna fight again I was a little bit irritated because I'm just like oh my god let Keith Lee fight somebody else but watching this match you know and watching them fight again I was like okay well now I see why and I'm not really angry about it anymore and then this Wednesday um Dominic wanted told Keith Lee that he wanted another chance at the title and basically Dominic kind of almost pushed him to the limit until Keith had to you know hit him with the three spirit bombs in order to get the win so now they want a rematch um I don't know when that rematch is going to happen that hasn't been announced yet but on Wednesday he basically stated that he wanted a rematch so we're gonna get Dominic versus Keith again whoop whoop but I'm pretty sure it won't be boring so we'll be okay um <laughs> and then we also had the match between Finn Balor the prince versus Johnny Gargano aka Johnny Wrestling now Finn returned to NXT you know like last year and turned heel on Johnny Gargano and injured him and put him out for three months now of course some of us know and then even if you don't know I'm gonna tell you Finn Balor was at NXT well before he was in NXT he was at New Japan Pro Wrestling first but he started in Ireland because that's originally where he's from and then he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling he was a part of the famous stable called the Bullet Club and after being with the Bullet Club for a while and wrestling with those motley crew of crazy people um <laughs> he signed with WWE and went to NXT where he had a persona of him you know being this cool guy who liked to wrestle and he was you know a good guy until of course he used to fight you know specific people and then he would take on the persona of the demon where he would you know paint his entire body and be like rah you know but you know <laughs> he would be more aggressive in the ring and all of that and everything and then he got bumped up to the main roster and he wasn't really able to get his momentum going the same momentum that he had going in NXT because he was um, an NXT champion at one point and all of that and he wasn't get that, able to get that momentum going so he came back to NXT and he turned heel so now he's a bad guy and um the crowd was split because people love Finn Balor and people really love Johnny Gargano because you know they both sort of represent the core and the heart of what NXT is all about and this match was full of grappling you know mat work at first 
and there was a point where Finn was doing push-ups while putting Johnny's head in a leg lock which I thought was very disrespectful and Finn started targeting body parts with strikes and everything he was being incredibly vicious with Johnny Gargano in this match um but Johnny wasn't letting him you know dominate him a whole lot but he was you know getting pretty dominated and it just seemed like Finn was just had a better like he just had a better offense and it was just you know kind of hard like I don't want to say it was one-sided but there was a point where during like maybe phase one of the match where it was a little bit one-sided but um they both physically pushed each other and one thing that I find very impressive is the fact that Johnny Gargano is impressive in terms of his wrestling holds and there was a point where he did an impressive transition into the Gargano escape which is kind of like a cross face except it's not and I don't know how to explain it like my boyfriend is better at explaining wrestling holes than I am but (laughs) but yeah like he is really good at transitioning other people's moves into his own moves and there was a point where Balor had kicked Johnny Gargano off the table with the Johnny Woo kick and he won the match with a coup de gras where he jumps from the top rope and stomps on a person's chest and does the 1916 1916 DDT so Finn Balor won and it made Johnny Gargano go to a dark place and we're going to talk about that dark place later um (laughs) so the next match was Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne, the bru- the Broserweights, versus Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish of the Undisputed Era for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne did not start as a tag team initially. They're both solo superstars. Matt Riddle, you know, is this MMA fighter who transitioned into wrestling very quickly. And um, Pete Dunne is this wrestler from the UK. And he was able to fight um, in the UK division. He's And he was probably the most dominant UK champion they had for a long time. He was champion for almost a year, or at least over a year. And he, and they both came together to participate in this tag team tournament called the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic in honor of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, who who was a beautiful OG who's sadly no longer with us, but they named the tag team wrestling classic after him. They won the tournament, which basically gave them a guaranteed chance at the NXT Tag Team Championship. So, I have one question. How much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? That's a joke. <laughs> and it's also on a t-shirt that they're selling on shop.com. It's a joke that Matt Riddle came up with considering the guy's name is Bobby Fish. So, hey, there's that. And the broserweights were mat- were wearing matching orange trunks. Now, I will say this though. One of the most amazing parts of watching Pete Dunne wrestle is the fact that his specialty is joint manipulation. He likes to take your fingers and take your toes and take your knee and your arm and manipulate it to move in such a way that it's not supposed to move and possibly break it. And that's amazing to see, even though it's kind of gross. But at the same time, you're just like, ooh, what is he going to do? And 
the offense that the Undisputed Era's tag team had, O'Reilly and Fish, is like they love to kick you in different in different body parts and all of the above. And the thing about them is the fact they're a well-oiled tag you know tag team machine. They would attack different body they'll attack different body parts at the same time. It's like you're getting a flurry of attacks from two people on one person and that was kind of rough to watch because they did that to pete dunn at one point and it was just like god dang give him a chance to breathe but you know and of course you know matt riddle he is a great athlete but he but it's almost like along with being a great athlete he has amazing charisma like he is so funny like he's funny for no reason And there was a point during the match where the chemistry between Riddle and Dunn was a little off because they kept hitting each other, spearing each other. And I was just like, guys, get it together. And I thought for sure that O'Reilly and Fish were going to retain, you know, but they pulled it together and they wound up winning the match. So now Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle are now your new NXT Tag Team Champions. And I would also like to point out that they also came out that the Broserweights came out in a with a golf cart. And one of the funniest parts about them being a tag team is the fact that Matt Riddle is so excited and he loves Pete Dunn. But Pete is kind of like sitting there with this face like I'm really not in a mood for any of this. Like it's almost like you have an overly excited person who's like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And then you have... Is one person who's friends with the overly excited person. They're there to support them, but they're just not here for it. Like, bleh. But, <laughs> but they're really funny together, and I'm glad that they're able to have this run. Now, on Wednesday, they came out and talked about their um, victory. And they had apparently partied so hard that they almost didn't make it back and then as it turns out they also took the dusty cup that they won um for the tournament and he apparently partied too much and he was suspended for 30 days due to the wellness policy and pete dunn mentioned that their golf court got impounded while they were out partying so ha (laughs) they are just goofy together and i just can't wait to see what else they do um and it was the first championship that Matt Riddle had ever won in um, in NXT period. So, you know, the sky's the limit for him. So that was fantastic. And now we've made it <laughs> to the last match of the night, which was Adam Cole, baby, versus Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT championship. Now, Tommaso Ciampa had a chip on his shoulder because he was the NXT champion and he had to give that championship up due to an injury he had on his neck and he was out for like seven months and fun fact whenever the wrestlers get injured most of the time they send the wrestlers down here to Birmingham to St. Vincent's Hospital to to the Andrews Sports Medicine Clinic so they can get surgery and get like way better and then they rehab and then they you know go on to go back to go back to the WWE to do whatever it is that they, you know, were meant to do. And sometimes they'll be out for six months, seven months, sometimes a year. So don't let ever, don't ever let anybody tell you wrestling isn't real because it is. These injuries can be very serious. Sometimes these people can get injured to the point to where they're out for, like I said, a year. And sometimes they can be injured and never come back to, to wrestle again. So don't ever let anybody tell you wrestling's fake. Fun fact. But anyway, <laughs> um... 
Ciampa wanted his championship back. So when Ciampa came to the ring for this match, the fans were chanting at him and calling him a psycho killer, which I guess you could say is true because he's kind of like this rough looking dude. And it's like when he's relentless about something, he kind of comes off as a stalker. Like, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back. And he calls the NXT championship Goldie like it's his girlfriend or something. (laughs) So he's relentless about it. But Adam Cole is not going to give the championship back, you know, lightly like that. He's like, Adam Cole feels like he's the greatest NXT champion that's ever, you know, lived. And he just doesn't want to give it up that easily because that's his baby. So you got one Goldie baby and these two men fighting over it. What are we going to do? So (laughs) a lot of their ring awareness and mat wrestling shown through here. And they weren't afraid to fight outside of the ring at all. And then there was a point where Ciampa had attacked Adam Cole and beat him up. But then um, there was this one fan who was cheering for him super hard. And he tried to get a high five from him. But Ciampa kissed him on the forehead instead. And I'm pretty sure that guy is going to be happy for the rest of his life. Um, I just love how the wrestlers on NXT acknowledge the fans a whole lot. Like it's really cute. And it's really fun. And there was a point where Adam Cole even flipped Tommaso Ciampa backwards to make his head slash neck hit the broadcast table and there was a point where they thought that this match was over because of it it was bad so there was that part and then there was a point where Adam Cole kept attacking the back of the neck to damage his nerves and that was pretty bad and they did power bombs on tables like it was crazy. And then there was a point where even the Undisputed Era members, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and Roger Strong came out to try to distract the referee so Adam Cole could cheat <laughs> and try to, you know, get the win that way. But Ciampa wasn't having it. He kicked out like multiple times. And then, of course, Adam Cole kicked out of his moves multiple times. So it was just, you know, it was just a lot until finally... There was a point when the referee got knocked out of the ring and Tommaso Ciampa thought he was going to take the w- the NXT title and hit Adam Cole upside the head with it. But then Johnny Gargano, who's like his, who's Tommaso Ciampa's on again, off again, best friend came out and took the title away from him to surprise hit Tommaso Ciampa in the head and knock him out. And then Adam Cole you know, came to and covered him. And the referee came to, of course, and hit him for the one, two, three. So now Adam Cole is still your champion. Thanks. Giving the assist to Johnny Gargano, who we thought was okay with Tommaso Ciampa because they did have a rivalry once upon a time that was like really hot. And then they became friends again, but now they're not friends anymore. (laughs) So this is going to be interesting. And on Wednesday, Tommaso Ciampa was looking for Johnny Gargano everywhere, but then he took out his frustrations on Austin Theory, who was a guy who was supposed to wrestle Wednesday night. And he's supposed to wrestle him this Wednesday officially. But God help Austin Theory because Tommaso Ciampa is pissed. So that's basically all that happened on NXT television and the pay-per-view. So now we're going to transition and talk about the SmackDown, which happened yesterday. 
All right, so now we're going to talk about the SmackDown women. And the first thing that happened that definitely caught my eye last night was the situation between Mandy Rose, Otis of Heavy Machinery, Dolph Ziggler, and all of this love drama. So, Mandy Rose is sort of dealing with the aftermath of her crash date due to Dolph Ziggler, who's like the hated, most hated man on SmackDown right now. Um, during the backstage segment, Tucker, who's like Otis's best friend in the tag team with them, spoke up and basically defended Otis and called him the sweetest man he had ever known and talked about everything he did for the date. Um, how he got like new clothes and even mentioned new underwear, which I thought was funny and how he combed his hair for the date and everything and how Mandy basically broke his heart and how he wouldn't leave, leave the hotel room and how he was just sad. And he was basically calling Mandy out for lying to him and all of that but Mandy was looking lost because um Tucker said that someone had texted Otis saying that well someone had texted Otis as Mandy Rose saying that she would be late but Mandy was looking completely lost because she was just like I didn't text him saying I was going to be late and Sonya Deville kind of just brushed it off or whatever and she also said that she was telling Sonya Deville who's like her best friend and a tag team with her that she actually was looking forward to dating Otis and not really dating Dolph Ziggler and you know when Dolph Ziggler tried to push up on her you know last year in the early in the late part of last year she was like I'm not interested in you and he stomped on the cake that Otis gave her and which I felt like was really rude but in life you know you have dudes like Dolph Ziggler who thinks they're too pretty pretty they're too pretty for anyone this to say no to them but hey whatever she said no and she was just looking lost last night because she was just like who you know would you know text from her phone and say that she was gonna be late and lie but then Sonya brushed it off and basically said it's okay because Dolph seems like more Mandy Rose's type anyway and that sounded so bad considering the fact that you're her best friend and you're supposed to know what type of dudes that she would actually like and for you to sort of base that off of the stereotype of her character as opposed to really knowing who she really is as a person just sounds like a bad friend so along with that came the idea that she took a ride offered by Dolph, which I found very shady because I'm just like, why are you taking rides from a dude who literally crashed your date that you were supposed to have? But okay. And then Otis had saw it like backstage and he was sitting there looking all kinds of disheveled. I felt so sad for him because I'm just sitting here like, now there's only, t- there are two directions they can go with this storyline. Number one, they can make Otis like just be heartbroken and sad about it and make us feel sorry for him. Or number two, they could make him come off as like some psycho stalker dude. And I really hope they don't do that. They don't, I really hope they won't make him like a psycho, a psycho stalker dude who's just heartbroken and saying, you broke my heart, Mandy, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want that. I just want it to stay like a love story where Mandy will eventually say her feelings and then they'll become a thing and I'll be so happy. Like, yay, I'm a romantic anyway (laughs) so another women's segment that happened during smackdown was a moment of bliss with the bella twins now a moment of bliss is like this talk show kind of like kind of like in the um put you in the mind of ms tv or um the vip lounge with mvp 
or um, Piper's Pit with Rowdy Roddy Piper, rest in peace. And this is like a talk show thing. So she has, so Alexa Bliss has this show and she has the, the Bella Twins as guests. So of course the Bella Twins are visibly pregnant <laughs> and they announced that they would be the new inductees for the WWE Hall of Fame with Batista and the and the founding members of the NWO involving Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, and the wrestling races formerly known as Hulk Hogan. Now, <laughs> they were in, SmackDown was in um, Arizona, which is where the Bella Twins are from. They're from Phoenix and Glendale. So, of course, you know, everybody in the crowd was like, yay, hometown girls in Hall of Fame, woo. And they were thanking their fans the Bella Army and all of the above for helping them get to this point in their careers where they were able to do as much as they've been able to do and then afterward you had Bree's husband who is Daniel Bryan who's also a wrestler in his own right come out with um their daughter Birdie Joe to celebrate with them as he was running to his match you know later on and I thought that was a really nice moment so there was that part And then also you had Lacey Evans do an interview with Renee Young and talk about the reasons why she stopped being a bully on television because she was in a feud with Sasha Banks and Bayley who were basically like trashing her and trashing her daughter um, Summer and she realized how bad it was you know that she was calling people nasties and being a bully and everything and she also declared her intentions for the smackdown women's elimination chamber match now for those who don't know what an elimination chamber match is it's kind of like a modified cage match where you have i believe six pods in there like six glass pods for six women and they all sort of wait for a specific time to come out and fight a person in the ring and basically whoever gets eliminated in the match and incapacitated and gets eliminated in the match they keep getting eliminated keep getting eliminated until there's um two people left and then once those two people are left they fight until one person wins and once that one person wins they gain the number one contendership for whatever title that they're fighting for in that match so these SmackDown women will be fighting for a number one contendership to be SmackDown for a SmackDown women's title match at WrestleMania. So there's that. And the Raw women have their own Elimination Chamber match too. But I'll discuss that later in the Raw segment. So after that, we also in the women's division, we had Naomi versus Carmella for the number one contendership for Bayley's SmackDown women's title match at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia this Thursday. So it started out with wrestling holes, which is very different for the both of them because they usually start off, these women sort of are very high-flying, kicking type girls. So it was really nice to see them do like mat wrestling type stuff and wrestling holes. And Bailey (laughs) was sitting out there watching the match, but then she was trying to distract them both. And it was very like... It just wasn't working, so the referee decided to eject her, and I was so glad because her being distracting to them was just not going to work for me. It was just annoying. So, after a back and forth and a back and forth with submissions and all kinds of body slams and everything, Naomi and Naomi won, and Carmella was kind of sad about it, you can tell, but then... 
you know, they finally did show respect to one another. And then Naomi was had kind of had tears in her eyes when she won because she had been gone for a while. So for her to have this opportunity to face Bailey in such a historic match in Saudi Arabia, you know, probably meant the world to her. And I loved her outfit with her Afro puff. Yeah. So that's what's going on with the SmackDown women at this point. Now, SmackDown men. At the beginning of the show, you had the Usos and the New Day coming out and running their mouths before their eight-man tag match with the with the Miz and John Morrison and Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Now they were both out there. The, the Usos and the New Day came out there, you know, and complimented each other because they have a huge amount of respect for each other. Because a few years ago, they participated in probably one of the greatest tag team rivalries I've ever seen in my life. And they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame right now for it. But of course, it's too soon because they're still fighting. But they mentioned how the Usos are the six-time tag team champions. While also basically throwing shade at them and saying that the New Day has won more tag team championships than they have. They've won it seven times. So they kind of got in each other's face and felt all this tension or whatever. But then, of course, The Miz and John Morrison broke it up and they tried to start a dumb chant, which was I can't even repeat because I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. And then the match officially began. Now, early in the match, it felt like they kept ambushing Kofi and not letting him get to his corner with his partners. But once he finally did get to his get to his corner with his partners, he tagged Biggie, who came in slamming everybody and everything. And the Usos kind of gained the momentum um, during the match after Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode probably hit one of the worst spine buster slash zigzags I've ever seen in my life. Like I could, it, it was just bad looking. Um, <laughs> but um, after that, basically the Usos had covered Bobby Roode for the one, two, three, and they won. So now the New Day has this momentum headed into um super showdown because the new day is fighting Miz and morrison for the smackdown tag team titles and they also announced that next friday john cena will be returning to smackdown in boston massachusetts which is his hometown well technically west newberry but you get it boston he's going there and it's going to be cool so there's that part and then you have daniel bryan who was fronted by um drew powerpoint gulak about the things that he was doing wrong in his um wrestling but then he was interrupted by Heath Slater who Daniel Bryan had fought last week and Heath was challenging him was challenging Daniel Bryan to a rematch and so something that I noticed was like after Daniel Bryan walked away after he accepted the rematch Heath Slater and Drew Gulak were talking, talking about all the ways he could actually, you know, win the match because of all the things that he sees Daniel Bryan doing wrong. And then when the match was going on, um, Drew Gulak was out there with him. And it was just really interesting because I'm looking like he's coaching him, you know, from the announcer's table with Corey Graves and Mike, Michael Cole. But what's so funny was the fact that he was just coaching him throughout the entire thing. And even though Heath Slater lost, which makes Daniel 2-0 in this rivalry, um... I was wondering if Drew Gulak and Heath Slater were going to become like a tandem. Like, was Drew going to be like Heath's manager? 
because I felt like that would be really interesting considering Heath and Drew are barely on television and Drew is technically a cruiserweight who participates on 205 Live which is like this other show that comes on on Friday nights right after Smackdown on the WWE Network but you hardly have ever see him so I just felt like if they become a tandem that would be really cool for them so and then there was this Symphony of Destruction match between Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro versus Elias and the Intercontinental Champion Braun Strowman. And basically in this match, it was like kind of like a TLC match, like a tables, ladders, and chairs match, except it was pianos, guitars, and violins, and gongs. Oh my. And it was pretty chaotic. And there was a point where Shinsuke got injured so bad that he had to get staples in his head. They showed that on Instagram. It was scary. But basically, it really wasn't that much to say about this match. It was pretty entertaining. But Shinsuke and Cesaro lost. Elias and Braun Strowman won. It was chaotic. That's the end. And Baron Corbin was lying on television after this match went off. Because he was talking about his match, um, his steel cage match with Roman Reigns at Super Showdown this Thursday. And he lied on television and said that Roman had never beat him one-on-one. When we saw him beat him one-on-one at the Royal Rumble in the Falls Count Anywhere match, this dude beat you and counted you out in a dugout. Like, come on, guy. Like, we saw this happen. And it's just, I'm just so sick of this feud. Like, I'm tired of Baron Corbin fighting Roman Reigns like give I really hope that this match at Super Showdown is like the final one that they have period like they just need to stop (laughs) because I want Roman Reigns to do something else besides fight Baron Corbin they need to stop trying to make Baron Corbin happen because it's it's not gonna happen so just stop and Sheamus declared his intent for the Smackdown Elimination Chamber match for the men and he had just gotten out of a rivalry with Shorty G, a.k.a. Chad Gable. And last week, he defeated... Um, last week, Sheamus defeated Shorty G and Apollo Crews in a handicap match. And Shorty G saw what Sheamus was saying on the television um, in the back. And so Apollo said, look, you have your way of handling Sheamus and I have mine. So hopefully they'll show Apollo trying to follow through on his revenge or maybe not because they hardly ever have him on TV now anyway too and it makes me sad because he's very talented but we'll see. I feel like I say that a lot but we will. And then at the end of Smackdown you had Goldberg come back and he was actually live and not on a satellite video feed. He came back and he was talking about how good it was to be back. And he did, of course, you know, the classic Goldberg entrance with security backstage. And he came in with the fireworks and all of that. And he was talking about how good it was to be back. But then he was interrupted by um, Bray Wyatt and the Firefly Funhouse. And Bray was introducing Goldberg to all the characters of the Firefly Funhouse, which is kind of designed like a kid show, like Mr. Rogers, except creepier. And then he said, I want to introduce you to the fiend. And so Goldberg kind of peeped the peeped his card and knew what was going to happen. The lights went out 
and the fiend showed up and Goldberg wasn't even scared he didn't even flinch and so he speared him he speared the fiend in the ring and then the fiend disappeared once the lights went out again and Goldberg just really wasn't scared of him like most people normally are so they're basically beefing up this Goldberg Bray Wyatt match for the universal title at Super Showdown so that was the end of Smackdown so now we're gonna go to Raw Alright, our last segment of the night, Raw with the women. Now, first on the agenda, Charlotte Flair was dressed in black and gold, ironically, which is the colors of NXT. And she spoke about putting the NXT division on notice. Well, not on notice, but on the map with the four horsewomen who were Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, and Bayley, and how they had to build that division from the ground up to make it what it is now. And she was calling Rhea Ripley entitled for coming on Raw and doesn't even, and she didn't even address Bianca Belair. That's how much she feels like she's an afterthought, y'all. So this is her basically addressing the WWE Universe after the event of NXT TakeOver in Portland the Sunday before. And Raw comes on on Monday, so just to give you some context. So, she was all woo, and then she left. So, now, with the Raw um, Elimination Chamber match with the women, those participants were announced um, before the show came on. And that will be Asuka, who's also a a women's tag team champion with um, Kairi Sane, who is, uh, who are part of the Kabuki Warriors tag team. And she'll be going up against Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan, who were once best friends, but now they're not a tandem anymore. And she's going all, and they're also going against Natalia and Shayna Baszler for number one contendership for the Raw Women's Title at WrestleMania. So that's going to be exciting, um, to to say the least. And then also with the women, you had Becky Lynch, the Raw Women's Champion, who was also the longest reigning Raw, Raw Women's Champion come out to the ring with her title and a paper bag with money in it and she stated that the money was going to be a down payment on the fine that she'll have to pay for beating up Shayna incredibly bad now like I said earlier Shayna Baszler was this very dominant champion who came from an MMA background and she addressed this during this segment she said that she basically said on the Titan Tron which is the giant screen that they have in the um in the arena And she said that she has the advantage in the Elimination Chamber match because she was birthed as a fighter in the cage, which is true. And she told Becky that she would, quote unquote, tear the ish out of her. And she literally said the word ish on national television. When I tell y'all I was shook at that part, I was like, what? Like my whole upper body was like (gasps) like (laughs) it just went backwards like I couldn't believe it like whoa she just said the s word on national television whoa but yeah that is going to be an interesting rivalry if they book it correctly because honestly Becky has been on a tear and beating everyone and as wonderful as it's been to see Becky Lynch sort of rise and become this amazing um dominant woman I think it's time for someone to test her and Shayna Baszler is the right person also 
in dumb women's news lana thought that zelina vega and angel garza were dating um ma'am no anyway um (laughs) then there was a match between Kyrie sane um one half of the women's tag team champions against natalia and something that i feel like has been happening on raw with kind of like the mid-card women's division it's been kind of the same matches over and over again and of course oscar was out there with her but it makes me kind of upset that you have these women's tag matches like not these women's tag matches but you have the women's tag team champions not fighting against actual tag teams and you have you literally have nikki and alexa over on smackdown and you also have like the iconics who we never see on television anymore and they could have a rivalry for the tag titles and you also have mandy and sonya but it's just like you won't have them fight for the titles at all and it's just kind of like yo like what's the point of even having these titles on here if you're not going to have these girls fight for it um and on raw they always seem to book oscar and Kyrie to fight in singles competition and it's just kind of pointless and it's kind of dumb but it was nice to see Kyrie sort of wrestle again and of course you know Kyrie wound up winning the match and everything and taking well she won the match by count out because they knocked um Natalia out of the ring and she didn't get back in the ring so she she won via count out but there was a component of the match that kind of irritated me was was basically one of the announcers Jerry the King Lawler who's like an OG and a hall of famer himself and it seemed like during the show and he's done this kind of like, I don't, I'm pretty sure he's done this more than once. But Monday night, when Kyrie Sane and Oscar were out there, he seems, seemed to have an issue commentating about them without making comments about their Asian heritage. And it just made me feel some type of way as a person who wants equality for all races. It made me feel some type of way because he, was making all kinds of problematic comments and number one the first comment he made was basically about not understanding a word they were saying even though sometimes they do speak in English you can still tell that the Japanese accent is still there but they're very capable of speaking in English but he just kept saying I can understand them and all this other stuff and then he also mentioned Asian food and said that Kyrie Sane's face looked like she looked like she had ate bad sushi and I'm just like this is 2020 we should not be making comments about asian people involving food or involving or involving involving the fact that they speak two languages and you can't understand one of them like it is just the worst thing and it's not a good look for a person of european descent to sit up there and talk about asian people and particularly asian women with the type of stuff that he was saying and i'm wondering if the people on the commentary table feel some type of way about it or do they just ignore it and i don't know if it's just me but it's just something that does kind of bother me it's just gross like grow up um and then also Liv morgan declared her intention for the raw um elimination chamber match and stating that she wants to move forward and not worry about Ruby Riot um, because they because Ruby did attack her once she did return about three weeks ago, so she was moving forward with that. So now we have the Raw Men, and there was a lot going on with the Raw Men. Good Lord. Um, so at the beginning of the show, the show started with Randy Orton, 
and it was at first scheduled that it was it was at first announced that Randy Orton and Matt Hardy was going to fight in a match um but Matt Hardy wasn't cleared because he had gotten attacked by Randy Orton the week before so he came out there in a neck brace and was asking Randy you know why did you do that to me and then but furthermore why did you attack Edge whom we haven't seen since um he got attacked the night after the Royal Rumble so Randy responded to Hardy's resistance with you should have still said goodbye when you could have left on when you could have left on your own two feet and it was really dark and then Randy Orton apologized to Matt and and then proceeds to RKO him and beat his head with a chair and a steel step sandwich now when I say it's a chair and a steel step sandwich it's actually called a concerto Whereas like originally you put like one, you put the person's head on top of a chair and then you hit that chair, you, you hit another chair on the wrestler's head. But honestly, I just call it a chair sandwich. And, but this time he totally did it with steel steps. So I call it a chair and steel step sandwich. But yeah, he just kept saying he was sorry over and over again. And my thing is, don't ever let anybody tell you that love and abuse go together. Don't ever let anyone hit you and say, I'm sorry, but you made me blah, blah. Don't let that happen. Anyway, um, (laughs) so after that happened, you had a match between Eric Rowan and Aleister Black. And Eric Rowan actually matched Aleister Black's quick strikes with pure power. And it it was definitely an interesting match to see. With... Rowan being the first person probably on the main roster to block the black mask, which is a giant kick that black that Alistair Black likes to do. And it just seemed like they were kind of evenly mashed in it. But of course, you know, Alistair Black came out with the win with two black masses across his head. But Eric Rowan was actually able to show more of his um offense here. And then you saw his um iron claw finisher as well. But of course, like I said, he didn't win that match. And we still don't know what's in that cage he has. He carries a cage out to the ring covered with like pota- with like potato sack, but yet we seriously don't know what is in that thing. And I think they might have they might have just forgotten about it. But anywho, you also had Drew McIntyre who was inviting the fans to point at the WrestleMania sign with him before his match with um MVP. And he was interrupted by Paul Heyman, who's the spokesperson and the advocate for Brock Lesnar. And he was beefing up Brock Lesnar to basically say, oh, well, Drew, you don't stand a chance against Brock Lesnar in WrestleMania because, you know, you're just not good enough and all this other stuff. And then he was beefing up MVP before he came out. But then, of course, you know, him beefing up MVP didn't do any good. And because Drew McIntyre dominated MVP the entire time, no diss to MVP, but he really got dominated the entire time. And then he hit him with the Claymore kick and won the match. So there's that. And then there was a tag team match between Rusev and Umberto Carrillo versus Angel Garza and Bobby Lashley. And there was a lot of power and strength lifting mixed with Lucha Cruiserweight background. And it was amazing to see the Cruiserweights kind of just go back and forth with each other with their Lucha um, background and stuff. And something that's irritated me about the storyline that Angel Garza has on Monday Night Raw is the fact that he's saying he's a ladies man. But we saw him propose to his fiance on NXT after he won the cruiserweight title from Leo Rush that time. 
like they showed it after a commercial break like he literally got engaged to his girlfriend right then and there in the ring but yet on raw you have this totally different personality saying you're a ladies man and you have this whole fan this woman fan come up to you and kiss you on the cheek during your match it's kind of awkward either you're gonna be a ladies man or you're gonna be an engaged man pick one but anyway the match was really good and (laughs) and I really feel like they're not giving Rusev a chance to get any victories because ever since he's been caught up in this feud with Bobby Lashley and Lana and all that it's just it's just felt kind of one-sided to kind of just Bobby and Lana and it's just not fair and I feel like he got screwed but you know I can't really discuss that anymore because I'm tired of that. And we had Seth Rollins and his illogical Monday Night Messiah sermon. And in this sermon, he was talking about um, fans and their fickleness because we turned because we turned on him and everything and defeating Kevin Owens and starting a second phase of his plan to sort of be the saving grace of Raw and whatever but one of the funniest parts of the whole segment was when this woman in the audience had this sign that said the Monday Night Messiah not my Jesus and I felt the same way because I'm just like it's almost like he's walking around pretending like he's supposed to be Jesus or whatever (laughs) but it's just like son you are not so please stop it and then my dad made this incredibly funny, this incredibly funny joke where he said Seth Rollins was going to bust hell wide open. And I think that's one of the funniest images that anybody could have ever came up, came up with. Because seriously, how bad do you have to be to bust hell wide open? To just bust it open? Like, what? Anyway. <laughs> and I believe he was interrupted by Kevin Owens and the Viking Raiders during that time. And then they started a match, um, which happened um, at the end of the show. So, and of course, Ricochet um, is going on his, you know, win winning streak because he's supposed to be fighting Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship at Super Showdown Thursday. And he beat Carl Anderson of the original club with AJ Styles, who came back for the first time since the Royal Rumble and Luke Gallows. And of course, this is where AJ Styles was talking about facing any legend that he wanted to face because he felt like he could beat them and all of the above. And where he mentioned The Undertaker, like I mentioned in News and Gossip. So there's that. And the main event involved Kevin Owens and Viking Raiders versus Buddy Murphy and the AOP. And this was kind of like a repeat of the matches they've been having over the past couple of weeks. So, I've said a lot about them fighting before, so I don't think I'm going to really repeat it. It was basically the standard athleticism that you would come to expect from these guys who are really huge, but yet they move with incredible quickness. And there was a point where I think Seth tried to cheat and everything, but then after the match was over and after um, Buddy Murphy and AOP won, they were starting to, I think, ambush them. But then the Street Profits came out to defend them and and Montez Ford hit probably one of the best frog splashes I've ever seen in terms of airtime. And it was great. So that's pretty much all that happened on the men's side for Monday Night Raw. Now I'm going to end the show with uh, my final thoughts.
Okay, so with this final thought, I just want to say not to let anyone steal your joy in terms of being a wrestling fan, because I know that there are people outside of the culture who like to speak on things that they don't necessarily know about. Um, so I would just say not to let anyone on the outside and also not to let anyone on the inside of the wrestling culture steal your joy for it either, because sometimes I think we have a tendency to be know-it-alls and think that when a person likes a certain thing, that it's a crap thing. And because we have a difference of opinion that we can't get along. And I think that could also apply to life period, but just don't let anyone steal your joy for your fandom at all. And just continue to find what you love about wrestling and just take it for what it is and enjoy it the best that you possibly can and I think that's really my final thought for um in terms of wrestling enjoy your parts of it and don't let anyone steal your joy so I would just take this time to say um if you want to follow me on social media You can friend me on Facebook um, under Stephanie LaShawn Hardy. That's Stephanie the regular way with the P-H and the N-I-E at the end. And LaShawn, which is LaShawn, L-A-S-H-A-U-N, Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y. And then you can follow me. I have two Instagram accounts. One is at Queen Steph Hardy and at Hardy Wrestling Podcast. I need to start posting more on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast Instagram page but please follow me there and also follow me on twitter at queen steph hardy so please just follow me there because i'm into a whole lot of different things like music and you know civil rights and social justice and also wrestling as well so please give me a follow if you already haven't and listen to this and please listen to the hardy wrestling podcast um on this anchor app and also listen to it on spotify and apple podcast um tell your friends about it if you know any wrestling fans please tell them about it or if you want to just tell your friends about you know a friend that you might have that has a podcast you know tell them about it and say hey there's this girl with this podcast listen to it if you really like it so thank you so much for listening to me and until next time peace and blessings and love and wrestling and all kinds of great stuff to happen to you this week all right this is hardy wrestling with stephanie hardy bye now